You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Outdoor Edge. Now, Outdoor Edge is a knife company. We all know that. They offer a complete line of fixed blade knives, replaceable blade knives, and game processing kits, right? So any blade you need to break down an animal, these guys have it. Now, the cool thing about their replaceable blades is let's say you are in the middle of breaking down an animal and the blade goes dull. The only thing you have to do is push a button The blade pops out, you put a new blade in, it locks in tight, and you're back to breaking down that animal. You get it cooled down, you get it back to the truck faster, and you get more meat in the long run. So if you want to find out more information about all the blades, fixed, replaceable, and game processing kits that Outdoor Edge makes, visit their website outdooredge.com and if you want to save 30% on your purchase enter the discount code nation30 that's n-a-t-i-o-n 30 and that's outdooredge.com when in the field accuracy and precision count that's why we switch our slug guns to rifle barrels tune our arrows and use a fish finder on the water but why should our drive for control end there the Tappacue line of meat probes gives an instantaneous look at the temperatures of our prized meals, both internal and the cooking chamber. Tappacue uses sturdy hardware made and assembled here in the U.S., along with their user-friendly, sophisticated software that connects to your smart device. Whether it's a traditional corded probe or the new cordless air probes that give you a wealth of freedom where wires would just get in the way. Adding a Tappacue meat probe can significantly help in getting to that medium rare on venison or waterfowl, ensuring your upland bird stays moist, or even charting your long cooks on a smoker. Visit Tappacue.com or find the link in the show notes and use the code HUNT10, all uppercase, at checkout to save 10%. Adding a probe to your kit can make you one tap away from your cue. Welcome to the Huntivore Podcast, powered by Sportsman's Nation, where we celebrate the hunting and fishing lifestyle through the utilization and consumption of our wild game. No egos, fork in hand, beer in the other, no status. A piece of red meat on a hot grill and turn it into a burnt offering. Just catch it, cut it, cook it. This is episode 83, After the Shot Thoughts with Paul Rhodes. On this episode of Huntivore, Nick is able to take a healthy-sized doe in the early part of October. 
Now the preparation comes into play. Nick sits down with Paul Rhodes, author and creator of Sizzlin' Arrow. Together, they talk about the things that you're going to need to have an effective field kit, the skilled art of field dressing, and to embrace the powerful moment with your harvest. No need to skip corners here. The guys touch up on some cut-up ideas and preservation tips that you're going to need to make some notes on before getting to your harvest. All this and more on the next episode of Huntivore. Before we get started, I do want to say that I was having some audio hardware issues, so I do apologize for all the echoey uh, sound that happens. But anyway, on with the show. Well, hey folks, kind of a, it's finally starting to become fall here in Michigan. Um, we, I mean, yesterday was 80, so I can't say it's totally fall, but uh, we're actually into some cooler temps. We had some misty rain all day today kind of hanging out in the 60s and I'm feeling I'm feeling really good folks I actually cracked a beer tonight felt good enough to be able to let loose because I get a week off of uh, not trying to chase uh, chase critters I already got one I got myself a nice big fat Michigan doe and we'll get into more of that story here in a little bit but I brought on a guest that I think is going to be really helpful with our discussion of what to do when you've already got that animal down and when the work really begins. I'm joined with uh, the creator and uh, content creator of Sizzling Arrow Outdoors. I'm here with Paul Rhodes. He's out of North Carolina. Paul, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Well, thank you, Nick. I appreciate being here and you know, thank you for having me. So yeah, Paul, we, we first met on a Zoom call, much like we are right now that we were actually in a, in a cooking class together with our friend uh, Jeff Benda. And Jeff was having us make a, well, I'm going to mess it up. Is it, is it a galette or is it a galet? It's a galette. Uh, it is a galette. Excellent. It's a, it's a French term. You can look it up, folks, if you want to. But essentially, I guess a good old boy here in Michigan would say it was just a really fancy puff pastry pizza. <laughs> and uh, man, I, I had such a blast being able to just go step-by-step step with Jeff, um, actually pounding out my, my neck fillets right there so that I could then sear them out. Um, you were just kind of hanging off, taking notes on the side there. Did you get a chance to then partake into actually making your own there, Paul? Yeah, actually, I um, it was kind of in the background, but I actually made two galettes during that thing. And, oh, you were uh, cooking. Good. Yeah, good. I was cooking. Uh, I was using uh, venison... I think I was using venison backstrap for mine and um, yeah, I did that. And then I was, I was cooking for myself and learning how to do that from Jeff, but also trying to make dinner for the family at the same time. So yeah, it was a, uh, it was, it was kind of chaotic on my end, but it, it was fun. And I definitely learned something from Jeff. It was great. Yeah. I tell you that guy is, he's just super knowledgeable, but even something so fancy as that he broke that down very simple. And it really was just, Hey, just follow these steps and you're going to end up with something that would be, I, I think it would be super elegant. I'm really getting excited for doing something like that at like the, the upcoming Christmas party or even like the friends giving where I'm not bringing necessarily the bird or I'm not bringing like a huge, I, I'm bringing a side dish and it's like, well, Hey, what if I add on an appetizer? And I think that would be a really good surprise. I think for the folks, because it really did 
I don't, I made mine with goat cheese for the, uh, the bottom layer and folks, you might have to go back and take a look at our, our photos or, or the posts and whatnot, but it basically it was puff pastry. And then you had a like cream layer that was going to go in there. And ricotta is what, uh, Jeff was asking for. And being here in Michigan, small town, I couldn't find ricotta, but I could find goat cheese. So it was like, that was my, that was my substitute. Very nice. No, the uh, ricotta was good, but I, I'll have to try it with goat cheese because I'm a I'm a big fan of goat cheese, and uh, uh, it was probably kind of tangy, real real tangy. Went real well. You were using neck meat, you said. Yeah, I actually when I opened it up, I used the neck fillet, and this was a cut that I found. Actually, a, a guy from England turned me on to these. Um, he was cutting up lambs, and it's basically the extension of the back strap. So that muscle that mm. you know you end up making that cut if you then follow that all the way up and it goes right next to the paddy whack which is the basically that tendon that allows them to pick their head up if you just follow that it tape it stays in there and then finally tapers to an end and it has a little bit more connective tissue on the outside of it you do have some grain kind of wavy going on i wouldn't necessarily say that it was a back strap but it's very reminiscent i mean it's the tail end of that exact muscle but I find that, man, you can take those and do pretty much the same thing that you would with a backstrap. You know, there's, there's six inches that we've been throwing into burger and it's like, man, we could hold on to this stuff. So the one play that I did there was slice it thin uh, against the grain, pound it out. And it did, it really worked well for something. If you're going to lay it on top, if you want to be able to take a bite and not pull the whole thing out, like a, either like a big, like hoagie sandwich or something like that. This worked out awesome for that, nice. that application. Very cool. Yeah. When I, when I cut the backstrap off of the deer, I'll take my boning knife and I'll stuff it up into there and I'll cut it around and I'll, I'll take the whole thing out with the strap. Cause if you get in there and you cut off that little tenny, it just pulls right out. And uh, so, yeah, I, I attach it with the backstrap, but I usually do uh, steak tips or something with those. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, still super tender. And I feel like, mm -hmm. yeah, that's just one of those items that I, I do. Like, yeah, Paul, we got to, we got to tell the world about. And I think you've got yourself the platform. So I brought you on, Paul, and you yourself run, I, I tell you, you got several different avenues right here. You, you work on actually teaching courses or at least doing um, one on ones with people. You, you work with a local college. You've got a website going, you do interviews. Tell us a little bit about Sizzling Arrow. What have you got going on there? Gotcha. Well, um, Sizzling Arrow, it's like you said, there's quite a bit going on with that. Um, <laughs> it's really, it's, it's hard to explain in a nutshell, but practically what we specialize in is consulting individuals on how to prepare your food and to harvest your food. So we want to take the clean, fresh, organic meat that you're not going to find in the grocery store and show you how to go out, gather that, or show you how to find that, whether it's from the local farmers, hunting it yourself, or, you know, um, finding it, you know, the best way to look for in the grocery store if you have no other option. So a lot of people, and, you know, today I was shopping for my family before I came in here and, looking through the tomatoes and I inspect everything and you know some of the cherry tomatoes on the bottom of them you'll see like there's some molded stuff and whatnot so it's just uh, I know a lot of people and I'm guilty of this too grab the stuff throw it in the cart because you're in a rush 
without looking at it and then you get back to the house and it's all molded or expired or something like that so really we're wanting to help individuals stop buying bad nasty chemically induced food and just letting them know there's another way to do it so as you said we're, we go down a lot of different avenues i, I run a, i have a podcast uh, I've, i'm starting on a youtube channel that's slow but surely coming <laughs> along um we we're focusing more so on local uh local things right now local projects uh doing you know one-on-one -on -one classes group classes um i'm doing a fly fishing class for kids ages 10 to 16 right now um and you know doing a few things uh, helping the college with their academics of field program teaching people how to shoot we did archery last week um i'm going to try to be a mentor for them uh during their deer shoot uh, deer hunting uh in december so i'll probably take one or two people out there um which would take me back to my guiding era uh which was a lot of fun i enjoyed that but um and as far as the farmers are concerned you know we we want to we don't want to we're not giving pity to the farmers for saying you know you need to go out and purchase from the farmers you know it's not the oh poor farmers it's the farmers are doing a wonderful job and they're not getting the recognition or the fair share that they are gaining so the more people that know the meat and the produce and stuff that you get from them is actually going to end up saving you a lot of money whether it's it may not be like right now but when it comes to your health down the road if you're having stuff that has less chemicals in it less antibiotics um fresher because it's not traveling all the way across the country it's going to be better for your health and then also you're going to not throw as much food away because it's going to last longer and you have more time to use it i want to tell that like you're hitting the nail right on the head because i want to say like the past couple news stories that i've seen about anything related with to food is is not good um mm -hmm. i know i've talked about it a couple times on on our show here is that you know, the pandemic kind of opened a few people's eyes. And like, as much as I want to say that's over, like, I think this new food chain uh, thing is going to come up again, we're going to start to see some more empty shelves. And mm -hmm. if you're relying on third party for your food, if you've got this extended, you know, chain, you know, worst term to say, but you know, if your chain's really extended out there where you're, you're needing people to help you out, it's going to be more difficult to acquire what you want when you want it. And if you're going straight to the source, you're cutting that food chain shorter, you're going to farmers. And the other news story too there is that you get some of these big, big companies, the, the big houses being able to gouge prices. So now you have the grocery store hurting and cause they got to buy it. You got the farmer hurting cause they're not getting what the money they should be, but yet the processing in the middle, that's where kind of people are double dipping. And it's like, all this is kind of coming to head just, just like what you said, Paul, this is all super <laughs> yeah. relevant right in front of us. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And that's actually how the company got started and why I wanted to do this is because when the meat shortage happened, you know, when, you know, this first is a toilet paper, then it was the meat. And I was like, well, I can't do anything about toilet paper. You know, there's plenty of leaves out there, so we'll be <laughs> fine. But um, uh, the meat shortage, I was like, I'm not concerned about that. I've got plenty of venison in the freezer. I've still got some pork in there too. And, you know, if we need to, you know, we've got canned goods, stuff like that. So we, I wasn't concerned with it because we had plenty to get us through for at least three, three weeks or uh, maybe a little bit longer if need be. And I was like, you know, there's a lot of people out there that 
this could benefit and they may not know exactly how to go out and gather it themselves. They may be interested in it, but they need someone to help them along, help them find the other local uh, farmers, um, which is not that hard. You just Google local farmers in my area, but a lot of these busy professionals or maybe people that live in the urban areas that don't go out into the country may need a little bit of help finding that or especially going into hunting there's a lot of people that have interest for it or have a respect for especially for the food gathering aspect that didn't grow up in a hunting family may have grown up in an anti-gun family anti-hunting family and they're out discovering themselves and the best way to do that is to uh, put that outreach to college age uh, students so you know let them discover it for themselves and see if it's something that they're interested in exactly but, exactly yeah and going back into the food chain thing, I'm kind of getting off on a tangent here, but you know, when was the last time that you ever had to take your deer back to the woods because it got recalled? Amen. Amen. Yeah, never, never. So <laughs> <laughs> no, that's super cool. Um, yeah, I'm excited to see more coming. I was I was just on your website earlier and just hearing a lot of your literature that you got on there. Yeah, this is exactly what what folks are looking for. And one of the reasons why I thought this was going to be just an awesome time to have you on too, is that we're in the season right now where it's either deer hunters are putting down a deer or uh, waterfowlers just get a whole mess of ducks and geese. You know, they, they start getting bag limits and feeling really good about it. And I tell you, mushrooming has, or the mushrooms have just popped everywhere in the woods. I couldn't go pie a single dead tree without seeing a whole bunch of mushrooms and my, my key, uh, I got to know exactly what it is. And my keying ability is not quite there. It's getting better. Um, I actually got a hold of that seek app. I, I don't know. People have been talking a little bit about that in our area. Um, mm-hmm. it's basically an app that you can then snap a picture of something and it gives you like, Hey, this is what it could be. And it's like this positive percent, and then it'll give you pictures so you can help key it out. Of course, right. you know, do your homework, but it was just like, ah, this is cool. So now I'm armed with something. So every time I see like, is that, is that a hen of the woods? Like, it looks like the shape. It's kind of got the color, but I'm still nervous. I need someone to give yeah. me the, the heads up, but people are pulling in like the wild harvest right now. This is the pheromesis that's going on and people are ending up with a lot of it. One of the big difficult things is, is now you, that you got it all, what are you going to do with it? You know, you've got to, you got to preserve it. You got to package it. You got to cut it. You can't eat the whole deer, you know, in a week. I mean, you probably could, but (laughs) at the same time, you want to be able to to make this last. So that's why I had you on. um, Cause I did, I just had the opportunity to smack an early season dough and it felt, it felt like clockwork. Um, It was the first sit on the farm that I had. I got, got in super early um, it was actually kind of like a real misty, rainy morning, um, got up into the tree and you could just hear the pitter patter of actually the rain was like, or the mist would come through the trees, condensate on the leaves. It actually wasn't raining, but you could just hear all the pitter patters of the water coming down. Um, got in, got set up. And I tell you like clockwork off to my left side, I see uh, a whole group of does come in and the lead doe, she was just, she's a big girl. Um, unfortunately I didn't get her on a, onto a scale, but she comes walking in and she's eyeing, eyeing her little group. She comes in at 40 
uh, actually lines up on a tree, starts walking right towards me and does the whole like pop out at 27 at that point. So you're like, oh, oh there she is right there. Um, <laughs> but anyway, she took a couple steps and I, you know, it's like 30's got to be really close to where she's at, drew back just a steady shot. And I, I caught it to where my eye was on the fletching. So I could actually see it spiral right on into the, the boiler room. She kicked, she went 30 yards from that 30 yards. And I just watched her tip. I saw white belly kick, kick, kick. And then the whole woods was, was silent again. It was, I mean, just as you wish it would go it, that that's how that hunt went. There was the no drama mama is what, what I'm calling. <laughs> that one. That's awesome, man. It felt, it felt so good. Um, then the, yeah, then the work does begin. I got down, um, headed over to the deer, you know, made the, made the text, made the picture, let the, let the buddies know, uh, let the inner circle know that, that we got one down. Um, and then my wife comes back with, she was like, Hey, you do know, we gotta be, uh, we gotta be heading off to practice here in 20 minutes, or excuse me, soccer games here in 20 minutes. So I was like, shoot, here I am like already, I've just opened her up. So now it's like, Oh, I have a lot of work to do. Um, I was able to get, get the, uh, entrails out. I saved the whole lever, saved the heart and the call fat. Those were the three I was able to get. Um, I didn't have time to, to pull the kidneys. Those I wanted, I wanted to try kidneys. There's plenty of time to get another deer. So I'm not totally taking it out, but it was definitely like, well, shoot, don't have time for that. Pulling that out. Um, I was going to go clean out the, clean out the tongue and get that first. But again, like when I got the text, it was like, well, I got a couple rolling around in the freezer already. Let's use those first. So got her cleaned up, put her onto, uh, our side-by-side that I had at the ready. Cause I knew it was going to have to be a quick exit and away through the woods. I went and got her hung up for the day. Um, she's now sitting in the fridge. I'm still letting her do a seven day, uh, hang. I, I would say she's just dumped into the, my, my beer fridge, my beer and deer fridge, but at least it keeps it cool. It lets everything relax. I kept everything on the bone. Um, uh-huh. there was an article I read and this was from Danielle Pruitt. Um, or at least maybe someone she talked to, but letting things age on the bone helps prevent the shrinkage. Um, if you were to take it all off, not to say that it wouldn't, it, it just helps, I would say, mitigate a lot of the factors that rigor can have on a piece of meat. You take it off the bone, it's got nothing, it's got no structure to it. So if it's still going through rigor, it's going to start to, to shrink. And that point, mm-hmm. you might get a little bit of tough, you get, might get a little toothy sections of that, of that backstrap or that, um, that roast. So I made sure to keep it all on the bone, but at this point now, I got I got a whole mess of deer to to work with, Paul. What do I do with all this stuff? That's a that's a great question. I mean, there's so many different things that you can do with uh, a whole deer, and yeah, I like I like that you got a, a beer cooler or a cooler that you can dedicate it to. You know, I've got just a 90 quart cooler that I use. And I, I do the same thing as you, you know, cause in North Carolina, especially around this time, it's, it's not cold here by any means. I mean, you're right. probably still looking 75, 80 degrees during the day. If you're lucky 50 at night. So you got to get it on ice as soon as you can. So what I do is a little bit different than what you do as far as, cause I just don't have a cooler, but, and I have a uh, beer cooler to where I can hang it. Uh, I have to put it into a 90 quart regular cooler but i'll take ice and layer on the bottom and i'll cut it into uh, quarters and put the deer on a trash bag over the ice 
and then I'll cover the top of the deer with another bag and have it kind of slope down into the drain area uh, to where the water on the top, like I'll put ice on top of it and the water will drain off into the bottom. You're not going to prevent all the water getting on it, but as long as you check it daily and make sure that you drain it out and kind of wipe it down and get the water off as best you can, it goes pretty well. Um, and I don't let mine age as long as a lot of people do. Um, I usually age mine anywhere between three to four days and then I'll butcher it up. And I found that it still has a very good flavor. It's not overly pungent. It's not overly gamey. Um, and I hate using the word gamey, but I don't think that you know, there's really another word for it, but it, it's, uh, it's very fresh tasting. And, you know, the one thing that I think a lot of people misconstrue is that you can cook deer, any kind of venison meat, about the same way you can cook a uh, beef. So really, it's just you can take any beef recipe that you want, you know, whether it's a stew, um, osobuco, um, uh, what else, uh, steaks, ground meat, anything that you put beef into, uh, tacos, spaghetti, um, uh, scallopinis, uh, marsalas, you know, any, any of that, you can do this with venison. So, I mean, to answer your question, what to do with it? really whatever the heck you want to i mean it's it, it's it's crazy and i've got this it's a um i don't know if you can see it it's my deer chart okay it's venison processing chart and it's got the different like the neck the shoulder the rib section the legs around the shanks and underneath it it gives you descriptions on what you can use these for like let's say the shank it says soup stew burger sausage also buco, um, braise and roast. So it gives you different ideas. And then you just go to the cookbook, grab whatever you want, um, and just use those cuts of meat for whatever you would like to use it for. Awesome. Awesome. I think we're on the same wavelength, uh, Paul too, is that, um, like when you were just showing that if, if, well, folks, you can't see this, of course, he held up this, this image. He's got a, he's got it printed off here and it's a cut list basically of you know from from head to hoof this this whole deer broken down and from that each single cut has you know three or four bullet points and I think some people get caught into this idea that I I have a specific use for every specific cut like I mean this is gonna this is gonna come off really really bad but like backstrap is only supposed to be for steak and like, as much as I want to say, like, yeah, you can, you can, you can make steak out of that. But at the same time, like, it doesn't have to go on the grill. And I know there's mm -hmm. going to be like a half dozen people are just like, oh, how, how dare you? <laughs> how dare you not put that crap on a steak? But it's like, hey, I can go with a roast. I can, well, I can make do a Wellington. I can have it roasted inside of something. I can make it a little bit more elegant. Like, just like you said, you know, mm -hmm. with, with beef, you can basically all, almost make it synonymous with venison um but as i'm going to start breaking down this animal i'm going to start cutting it up um i have a little bit i have a different approach i think to than most guys at least in my my inner circle have they'll take a they'll take a backstrap and then they will then cut it on the butcher table cut it into the individual steaks and then and then freeze it that or then you know seal it wrap it whatever they're going to do with it label that as backstrap steak and then freeze it. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily think there's anything wrong with that, especially if 
that's your style of cooking. You open up the freezer, you grab a bag, you look at it. It is, oh, it's already written on there what this is going to be. This is for soup. Well, we are having soup. Oh, the bag <laughs> says steak. We are having steak. I feel though sometimes like that approach can kind of pigeonhole people to be stuck with, well, shoot, it's it's August and all we have is soup stock. <laughs> like all we have is mm-hmm. soup material. I, I like to be able to um, at least give myself different avenues to go in. So what I'll do is I'll actually, when I go through my cut list, like you were showing, I'll break my animal down into subprimates and referring to that basically like I'm going to seam butcher the whole like hind leg out and keep everything as like a whole muscle. Mm-hmm. And at that point, it gives me, you know, if I want to make jerky, I can go grab a whole top round because that's in the freezer. But at the same time, I could take that whole top round and say, we're having steak or it's, it's time to make pot pies. So I'm going to take that same muscle. It just gives me a lot of different avenues to go with. I feel like it just in, in that way, I think it allows me to be a much more creative cook if I go into the butcher process as like, hey, let's go in with a generic sense. Is that something you would agree with? Or are you you a guy that says, you know what? I like to have things set the way that they're supposed to be in the freezer. So it's funny that you ask, because I'm kind of, I'm kind of a hybrid between both, if you would. So uh, generally every year I I try to shoot one or two deer and I'll I'll dedicate one deer, uh, generally the younger one to kind of the steaks, pre-portion, stuff like that. Um, yeah, I, I cut up my back straps, get everything, uh, set up in like four steak pouches and freeze them. That way it's just easy to grab, cook it up for the kids and be done with it. Um, but on the other one, and we're actually going to have quite a bit of deer this year because my son's hunting for the first time. So we're going to have his. Ooh, so exciting. Yeah, it's going to be great. Um, but you know, we're going to play around with some and keep, you know, some of the larger cuts as well. Uh, keep, and I always keep a whole round, like you said, I always keep that, uh, in the freezer. I never cut those up ahead of time. So I'll break them out. I'll either do a roast or cut it up into steaks or do jerky or whatnot. Um, but the one thing I'm going to do again, I've only done this once, but I'm going to take the whole back section and cut it into chops, uh, just like French, uh, loin and probably do a French roast maybe for Christmas or, you know, something along those lines. So, but I, I mean, I agree each, each way is great. Um, it's just really, uh, however you want to perceive it and how quick you want things to go when you're in the kitchen, if they're pre-portioned, it's so much quicker than trying to figure out what you're going to do with it. But if you have some that are set aside and you're like, okay, well, we're just going to save this for maybe a weekend and we're going to play around with it and see what we can come up with then you know by all means that's that's a great way to do it as well and you know one last thing before i uh, go off on any other tangent and i'll stop but um i'm going to take a front shoulder probably a front shoulder this year and we're going to make some slits into it stuff some pork fat into it and i'm going to smoke it for probably seven to eight hours we're going to make a barbecue with that so we'll see how that turns out man I'll, i'll send you some pictures of it when i get it done yes yes that's a great mindset too, is like, as you, in addition to your already process going on, like people, I, I'm a dreamer as well. Like I, I think mm-hmm. of things as they come along um, and it's like, yeah, that's, that's something I want to do. Um, last year, I really, I wanted to do a whole haunch. 
uh, the whole hind quarter as like a Christmas roast. And so to bone it out, but to keep the whole thing together and then to really like basically like prime rip at that point, Mm -hmm. essentially I I smoked it. Well, actually that deer, it was ended up being a uh, roadkill button buck and the size was perfect. It could feed, it fed six people wonderfully. The whole leg quarter, I did take off the shank at that point. Um, so we didn't have to deal with that, but at the same time, like that, that little dude's misfortune with some Chevy became, he came, he became the, the crown jewel at our table. So, you know, whatever that means, I guess like that was a, a great way to elevate that. But at the same time, like I, I dreamed that that was going to be one of those things that I wanted to do. And so for you to be able to take that whole shoulder and be like, listen, we're going to throw this on the tragger. We're going to throw this in the smoker. And it's just going to, uh, basically just smoke all day. That sounds super fun. Um, are you going to slice it or is it going to be in one of those, like, where you're going to pull out the blade, like the blade bone. Is that the idea you want it? So soft. Pretty, pretty much just pull, pull the bone right out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because we're going to, we're going to cut off the, the bottom part underneath the, um, the, oh God, what you call it? Um, the joint there on the leg and, um, the elbow, if you would, but, yeah. um, we're going to cut that off, let the dog chew on that and put everything else in the smoker. Yeah, we're actually, I think we're going to take a couple steps back. Um, and we, we kind of hustled past it, but I want to get back to you with your, um, we're coming up on the animal. It's down, it's laying there. Yep. And you already alluded a little bit to us that you've got that big cooler that you're going to be putting the ice in both top and bottom. But let's, let's back it all the way back up again. We come up to that downed animal and you're, you're basically figuring out what you're going to need to do with this. Walk me through your field dressing kit and walk me through how you field dress. I, this is a, it's an intimate process that happens. And some folks are, you know, they're like, well, this is your first deer. You're going to have to field dress it yourself. Like, okay, well, good. Are you going to help me? And nope, because I don't know how to field dress. So you're out your own. <laughs> But at the same time, like, I feel like that's one of those things that, like, it does get looked right over and people are, again, are, are fumbling around trying to figure out what they need to do. Let us in on, on how you feel dress your deer. Okay. All right. Yeah, no, definitely. And honestly, this is one thing that a lot of people don't like doing. I do not mind it whatsoever because that's just part of the process. Um, I'm actually going to try to do a YouTube video of field dressing this year uh so just kind of you know stick around for that that one's i'm hoping to have it done maybe in december depending on how the luck is i mean you can never tell uh, what's going to happen in the woods but uh first one we get down we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and film it and then post it up there and hopefully it doesn't get taken down <laughs> but, <laughs> i'll share it but, as many times as i can paul i'll see if i can't there we go. Out. <laughs> that's awesome that's awesome and it'll make a lot more sense if you actually watch it from what i'm going to tell you now but uh so when i when i go to field dressing so if if I'm explaining this to someone that has never done it before, and I'm going to act like I'm talking to my son. So when you walk up on that deer, the first thing you want to make sure that it is dead, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, the one telltale sign is if he's laying there and his eyes are open, that's a pretty good indication that that deer is already expired. But I come up from behind the deer, uh, kind of at an angle coming from kind of in the middle of his back. That's kind of how I approach and if I'm using a gun, I'll use the barrel of the gun, kind of poke the eye, make sure it doesn't move. If I'm using bow and arrow, I'll do the top, you know, tip of my arrow, 
poke the eye, make sure it doesn't move. If it doesn't move, you're good to start. If it does move, you may want to put another arrow in it or you know another bullet in it. Um, if his eyes are closed, put another arrow in it, put another bullet in it because he's going to get up and bolt or attack you one or the other. Um, but once you get to that point, he's dead. And what I do is I start off with, if I have a buddy, which is a lot easier, if you have someone there, they'll grab the back leg and kind of I'll get in there. He'll pull one side of the leg and spread the rear end open. I'll take um, my point, knife and I'll make the gear is essentially upside down. Legs up, yes, yeah. belly up. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Sorry. Uh, yeah. So the deer's on its back, spread eagle. And I make an incision down kind of in the pelvis area and uh, just a big enough incision so I can get two fingers into it. And I'll put two fingers there and I'll put my knife in between the fingers. That way I have a good guide. And I'll kind of lead the very tip of the knife up through the belly area, up into the top of the rib cage. And it'll kind of open everything up because the reason for the guide is you have kind of a feel and you can kind of push down as you go and keep from poking the gut or poking some things that you don't want to poke. Cause once you do that, then you got to move real quick yes. <laughs> to get all that out. Um, but once you get all that, you get up to the rib cage, then I'll take the knife and I'll kind of make a couple incisions up into the cage and open up that brisket, the chest cavity. And once I do that, then I can reach in and before, let me back up. So before I do that, before I reach in and cut off the um, windpipe, I'll cut around the diaphragm, cut all that open so where it's you know, loose and off of the side. Then I'll reach up, get the windpipe, make a cut, cut that thing off. And then I can put my fingers inside that pipe and kind of pull it back. And you're gonna, sometimes it comes easy, sometimes it doesn't. So you may have to make a few extra cuts. Uh, once you get that all the way back, you can cut the rest of the diaphragm off and then you can move most of that to the side of the animal. The tricky part is when you get down into the uh, urinary tract area, the, the anus area is that some people just leave that as it is. I... <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you if that's what you do. I don't blame no, you. No, I don't. I'm laughing yeah, that people yeah. leave it. I think like yeah, people have gone so it. far. Why stop there? You know, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So now this is where having a buddy really helps because they can grab both legs and pull the rear end up to where you can get a good picture of that anal area. You'll make an incision around you, kind of cut around that. And then you want to be careful. You don't puncture the urinary, uh, the bladder but you'll get in there and cut around as far in as you can go. And then generally you can just pull that right through. Um, it may need a little help on the inside, but generally you can just pull all that out and then you're, you're good to go. Once I get to the truck, you know, this is generally in the field where I hunt, I can't leave the, uh, uh, the guts and the entrails out there because the guy that I hunt on the property asked that I don't leave them there. So I have to take a trash bag, load everything in and then, take them to the dump or, you know, drop them into wherever I can find a place to lay them out. Um, but uh, once I get to the truck, get a little water, rinse out the inside so it's not sitting a lot of excess blood in there and it's not dripping all over the road on the way home. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's pretty much how I do it. Again, it's going to make a lot more sense if you can watch me do it versus just listening to it. And 
a lot of people for safety precautions, you know, have the long gloves and stuff. I don't know if I call it old school or just don't care. I don't use them. And it's just bare hands. Cause I mean, most of the time I, I I'm forgetful, so I'll forget it. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so yeah, most of the time it's like, well, I don't have the gloves here. Am I going to just wait till I get home? No, it's got to come out. So you gotta, you gotta get them out as soon as you possibly can. So most of the time that's without gloves. Yep. No, that's good. I, it's very similar to I've, I've actually, uh, mainly cause it's just cleanliness. Now I used to be old school like you, um, I mean, growing up here at the, at the turkey farm and then processing turkeys, like we didn't have gloves for the longest period of time. And so like having blood on my hands, um, wasn't a big deal. And I think, I, I, I think this could open up a lot of, a lot of stuff too. Cause this is the first time when you're field dressing an animal, that's the first time that you're putting your, your hands on it, that, mm-hmm. you know, you claim to be this, this hunter, this sportsman, uh, a lover of nature but yet we start getting the yips as soon as we, we start touching the animal, you know, we, we don't like that, that aspect of it where that's, that's really like the first time where this animal is now going to be transforming from the living wild creature to, to food at this point. And it is, it's a very, it's a intense uh, moment because at this point you are, you are now disemboweling this critter that you can then be able to, to harvest from it. It's not anything light to be taken. And I think even, you know, seasoned professional like yourself, that it's like, as soon as you walk up, you do, you take a heavy sigh and, ah, all right, I got to get my mind central on, on what I'm doing here. Um, So being a first time I can see where this would definitely be very, very intimidating as a, on the meat processor side. Yeah. I look at it like, come on guys you've already gotten your hands all the way in the inside you know don't be shy around the butt now come on get your fingers in (laughs) there and in that in that pelvis uh cavity that's in there that's the only thing that that you can cut is going to be the uh the anus and the urinary tract and so Mm -hmm. as you stick your blade in if you've got that tilted towards the bone if you're scraping bone you're kind of giving yourself a safety out that you're not going to hit anything at that point Um, but yeah, once you pull that out, it's going to be nice and clean. You're not going to be dealing with any, um, any feces coming out at that point. If you can put a zip, you know, pull that anus, zip tie it, and then you can pull everything on through, man, you just, you just saved yourself a whole much, so much hassle and so much loss, just being careful. Um, I really liked your tip too, on, you know, following your, putting your two fingers either on the side or even like just having that blade ride above your fingers as you slide it through the underbelly. Um, cause yeah, you don't, you want that point to prick anything. You don't want that sharp, uh, bevel to hit into the stomach or anything, because that is, as you let that animal sit there, it's going to bloat and it almost happens mm. in real time. As you're sitting there, you can, I mean, just the dough that I had here, it wasn't necessarily super cold, but I sent a few text messages and, you know, I sent the photo, sent the messages and I'm getting myself ready. And that that belly went up another half inch just from the pressure of that gut. Um, I did learn a tip uh, from an old guy that I I really liked. And it's, it's something you got to be super delicate with, but as you get that bloat, it does begin to be problematic as you're trying to now cut around it. And what Mm -hmm. he does is just takes the eighth inch tip 
of whatever knife he's working with, and he'll actually work that and just prick the belly or the the stomach, just prick it uh, enough to release the pressure. And it's good. It's going to whistle. It's going to it's just going to let that air out. You're going to get a whiff that you know you necessarily didn't want to. Make sure you know which way the wind's blowing, or you'll find out soon which way the wind is blowing. But at the same time, it alleviates that pressure, but doesn't spill open. And as long as you have it just be that little pinprick, it helps you get that stuff out before you end up having a rupture at that point. Because when exactly. it's like a balloon, it it does not take much for just a little bit of a blade glide on that. And boom, you got you got stuff everywhere. Yeah, and it's not it's not fun stuff and it's not good smelling stuff either. Um, Yeah, you're a no glove guy. I've converted to a glove guy just because I've got the little hand gloves and mm-hmm. it's it goes it goes without saying too. I will get a deer every time that I am needed as soon as I leave the woods. So, you know, example this time. I went yeah. out knowing that I had to go to soccer games and sure enough here comes a deer i bang it down and now it's like well shoot i am running against the clock i have to be presentable i have to go be in front of little kids and parents so not having you know blood under the fingernails or you know <laughs> having to scrub that out i just yeah. i just throw those on and it's basically just a an immediate need even when i'm i'm cutting them up i used to go bare hand but now it's like i'm always getting called away from the project so it's like all right gloves on and that way i can just peel them off the eight dollars that it takes to get a box of 100 of them it's i think it's worth it at that point yeah yeah now it's funny because you know at at the house when i'm cutting everything up if i'm messing with chicken if i'm doing any kind of cooking butchering i got gloves is Mm -hmm. this only out in the field is just and it's really just because i'm uh, i forget things and i never have them with me when i'm you know uh, i'm not prepared uh, when i when i shoot one so um but yeah any other time man i, I use gloves because you know it's just it, like you said it's a hassle having to wash your hands every single time if you need something it's easier just to peel a glove off grab what you need go do what you need then come back you know um yeah yeah it's uh definitely gloves are important to have around the house and you know it's probably a good thing to have in your pack as well right right i think i put more effort into my field gre- my field dress kit than i do anything else that's in there i will forget uh like an extra hat i'll forget mm-hmm. the neck gator that seems to be one that i always seem to forget um you know just some of those essentials i've 
I've gotten better to the point now where I have two releases. I've only left the release home once. Um, but then having the extra release in the pack. So it was like, Oh, I left it. Now I have the release. So I've, I've done better that, but I think I put more thought into the field dress kit more than anything else that goes in that pack, I guess. Yeah. Now I'm, com- I'm, I'm the opposite. I, I've got everything I need to in my pack and I've got just a knife. That, that's it. And, <laughs> you know, there, there, there's quite a few years where I'm like, Oh man, did I bring my knife? And I, I didn't even have my knife with me. So, <laughs> so I try to keep one at least in the glove box and then one in my pack just in case. But um, yeah, I've forgotten so many things, broadheads, you know, I can't shoot anything without a broadhead. So I had to, man, I drive 45 minutes to my hunting spot. So I had oh to turn around goodness. and come home. Yeah. Oh. So yeah, that, that sucked. That ruined the whole day of hunting for me. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I try, I try to be prepared, try to get everything together the night before, even if I have to stay up a little bit later. So if things started down there in North Carolina, when does North Carolina, are they on the, the October or are you guys uh, a little bit earlier? So our season starts September. It started September 14th this year. And um, so it's the second, I believe it's second Saturday of September is when it starts. And granted, I've only been out once or twice. I was out yesterday and took my son out for the first time. The first time we went out seeing a doe and a fawn. And then last night, I mean, the woods were just hopping, seeing probably six or seven does, one little button buck coming right in front of me and a deer that I don't know what the heck it was but right at dark when I was starting to get down um he was behind me and I spooked him (laughs) it's always probably yeah he was probably the big one I was looking for too but yeah (laughs) that's just the way it works but yeah no it's been going on it goes until January 1st so I'll be out there for a while gotcha plenty plenty of time yeah and I'll actually be in your neck of the woods uh November 15th uh for probably about four or five days oh you're joining michigan the michigan gun hunt eh yeah yeah the Orange Army. yeah 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 i'll be actually it'll be 13 so i get i think i get a couple days of archery before the gun season kicks in and uh then uh go into the gun so uh, can you hunt bow during gun season up there yeah you can run a bow yeah all the way through through okay. december 29 or december 30 whatever our last day is I think Very New cool. Year's Day is um, the end of it. Um, okay. Yeah, you can run. You can run a bow the entire time. Um, I want to say nope. There's not five days. There's five days after the gun before muzzle loader starts. But I think only that time is just like uh, archery. So there's gotcha. there was a couple of years where my shotgun was not. I was more confident with my bow than I was my shotgun. If that tells you how much opportunity i get with the shotgun at this point <laughs> so i was like i'm not even gonna rock it like my bow right now is way better than where that that slug is gonna go so yeah now we've gotten that taken care of i finally got a chance to sight it in but uh i enjoy the the bow aspect i think well just being the meat guy too i don't like to blow up the whole shoulder and that's usually what seems to happen when you when you're using the 12 gauge sabot like it yeah it blows up that shoulder granted it's not going anywhere but you know, there's a whole quarter that you pretty much lost. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I actually, yeah, I very rarely hunt with rifle anymore or with the gun is primarily bow, but yeah, I switched over to copper ammunition, uh, last year, uh, just because I don't know if you've seen the x-ray pictures of deer when you shoot them with lead, how that lead disperses out through the meat. Oh I mean, you, you have the hole here, but it disperses probably about 18 inches 
past that hole. So you're eating lead that you don't even know you're eating. Fragmentation all throughout. Yes. The, wow. Yeah. I should yeah. Take a look so, at yeah, definitely check it out. Just say, uh, just look at, I guess, deer x-ray of lead uh, shot or something like that. And it'll, it'll show you a few pictures. It's, it's um, eye-opening to say the yeah. least. I got a, I got a very good friend who one of his big projects is pushing for uh, copper ammunition, not at, well, for many reasons, one of which is rather for us as sportsmen to make the switch before it's now regulated that we make the switch. Mm -hmm. So for us to be on the forefront of making good quality humane decisions both for the for the animals because now you don't want to make a bad shot and now basically put lead all into that which is then going to go to exactly. the next animal yada 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 down the line yep um at the same time you know finding pellets and shots in in animals that you know birds of prey really fall or really oh, yeah. are affected by that um but at the same time I, I think you're getting better better mushrooming i guess he said he was telling me that sometimes the copper the copper does a better job at punching through the animal and staying together. You're not having near as much fragmentation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's definitely, you know, there's ups and downs with both, you know, the copper I've heard doesn't mushroom unless you hit something solid. Um, like if you shoot right behind the shoulder and it misses a rib, it'll kind of punch right through it without doing a whole lot. I mean, it's still going to do some damage, but not as much. It's not going to mushroom. Uh, as well as it would but as far as fragmentation if it does mushroom the way it should i think they hold like a 98 percent retention or something like that i mean it's wow. just crazy on how much they hold and you're not going to lose a whole lot in there this so, is almost the same conversation that mechanical guys and fix head guys would be having right now yeah, yeah <laughs> it's exactly. the lead versus copper all repackaged or it's the fixed and mechanical repackaged into lead and copper Oh yeah, we we could have a whole episode just on these two topics, you know, broadhead uh, broadhead topic and lead topic, ammunition topic. I mean, we could just go down a whole bunch of different holes with that. <laughs> oh, you betcha, you betcha. Yeah, we'll we'll tap in, we'll tap in because I'm curious. I'm gonna I'm gonna guess, Paul, you're a you're a fixed head guy, aren't you? Yep, actually, I have switched over to the Slick Trick Vipers this year. Oh. Um, I have I have been mechanical uh this whole time uh, i'm not a rage guy i can't stand those things those <laughs> things are terrible um and i'm gonna get a lot of slack from some people on that one but i, I do not like rage you can say what you want gotcha. um, you can send hate mail like to uh huntivore at gmail.com i'll forward <laughs> it along to paul but i'll 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 block for you paul i'll block for you oh, there we go there we go <laughs> I'm, i can i can handle it they can send it to my email <laughs> that's paul at sizzlingarrow.com if you want there to we go it. there we go but um but yeah no I, i've used the grim reaper whitetail specials uh those ones are probably my favorite i've had a lot of good success with those uh shot my pope and young antelope out in wyoming at 74 yards clear pass through went 12 feet and drop so, um, I mean, if it can do that kind of, kind of damage at that distance, I mean, it, it's okay by me. There um, you go. and then the nap spitfires, I found them on special and I was using those for the last few years, shot a buck last year, 12 yards. And I thought I missed him because I shot, he flinched, didn't move, looked around. I was like, there is no way in hell I missed him at 12 yards. There's no way. 
And then he started walking off. I was like, I missed it. I was like, what, what happened? And then he started staggering. I was like, wait a minute. I didn't miss it. And yeah. then he just keeled over probably about 20, 30 yards down, down the way, but he didn't know what hit him. That's and, awesome. you know, that that's honestly the most tender deer I've ever had just because there was no stress. He didn't bolt. There was nothing, you know, no stress to him whatsoever. He died very peacefully. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I, and that was with the, the Grim Reaper or was that with the Spitfire? Uh, that was with the Spitfire. The Spitfire. Um, I, I drank early on. I, well, I had a b- couple bad experiences with mechanicals um mm-hmm. and partially could have been shot placement i mean i was at, young at that point i'm new to hunting and it was one of those things i walk in cabela's like oh give me this arrow give me this broadhead because everybody buys it and yeah. things weren't going the way that i i wanted to you know i it was one of those real cases of like i didn't know what i didn't know i was literally just yep. slapping together what somebody told me to do mm-hmm. um and after having a couple really bad experiences losing uh two deer two different deer it was like something's got to change because i think the one shot was really good but i ended up hitting that shoulder and it the thing stopped right there um so yeah then i i went and took drank the kool-aid with the heavy arrows and the um the single bevels um and i i really liked the thought behind it i actually got turned on from that being at the traditional uh bow show and having a bunch of really experienced traditional archers tell me about single bevels on listen you know when you hit a shoulder this this is going to actually twist it's not going to try to drive it's going to twist through and if you've got enough weight onto that arrow i mean these guys are shooting cedars at this point and it's like it's just going to keep driving so get yourself a nice heavy arrow and shoot it so i just kind of took that mentality that they've had from um the traditional guys and applied that to my compound and probably the same thing with that spitfire I can get those, um, those single bevels, just scary sharp. I've never been terrified of a broadhead holding it until I've had these single bevels. Uh, yeah. they're the, the RMS, uh, cutthroats, but nice. man, just super sharp. And I think if you can catch that spitfire edge to go right on in, or like with this single bevel, the sharper it is, they're going to react just like that, that deer was, it was just kind of like, Oh, what, what was that? is a yeah. scalpel cut and it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't know that it got just run through and now it's bleeding on the inside so i think exactly. you know two different mentalities here same results and that's that's what we're going for here yeah for sure for sure as long as it gets the job done and kills them ethically and cleanly and quickly i mean that that's all you need excellent excellent um freezer paper uh plastic wrap are you a, a backpack guy? Do you use, uh, you know, is it straight butcher paper? How are you putting uh, game in your freezer? I am a vacuum steel guy. I, I like to pull all that air out, get them nice and tight and throw them in there. and It, it looks pretty too. <laughs> yes. Yes. I think you say, oh yeah, you just save on real estate at that point. Even, yeah. even from the butcher paper, I know you can get that butcher paper nice and tight, but you know, that paper starts to take up, you know, those bricks start to take up more and more space out of that freezer. So being able to yep. vacuum seal it down, good deal. Are you using one of the, is it a chamber vac or is it just really just the vacuum pack at that point? It's just the vacuum pack at that point. I haven't invested in one of those commercial vacuum sealers yet, which that's actually probably 2022 uh, purchase. 
and try to get one of those ones that you find in the actual butcher shop or uh, in one of the uh, food meat processor plants. So uh, we've got a restaurant depot down the road. I think I can get one from them. If not, I'll see what I can find elsewhere. But um, but yeah, right now it's just a cheap old one you get from Walmart, but it works pretty well. Yeah. And you're buying you're buying the roll bags at that point. You're, you yep. have to seal the one end, stuff it in, seal your next end. Yeah. And you get have, pretty good resistance on those. I mean, you don't want to take a couple shanks and throw them in there and then have it just roll around in your freezer the whole time. You know, you, you will puncture a bag that way, but you've got pretty oh, good yeah. uh, resistance against bouncing around in there. Yeah, no, I get uh, pretty good. I mean, I've only had in the last three years, I've only had two bags puncture. So, I mean, it's, it, it holds it up. And I mean, if I get one puncture, generally we go through it quick enough to where it's not going to make a huge difference. And if it looks like it's, you know, crystallized inside, then that becomes dog food or dog treat. There you go. <laughs> yeah. But I don't what, he'll still eat. Yeah, exactly. He'll eat it. <laughs> uh, so what about you? What do you, do you uh, wrap it or do you uh, vacuum seal? What, what do you use? I made the jump to the chamber back. Um, I did that before I, I was used, I was kind of moonlighting into uh, the turkey farm. So I would back my deer uh, with the big commercial. And yeah. at that point I was like, oh yeah, this is, this is the life right here. You know, I was, I had the silver spoon in my mouth when it came to the, uh, the wrap and pack, but then at the same time, then I, I would go away from that. And it was like, well, shoot, I don't want to get, I don't want to get one of the little cheapies at this point. I've already yeah. lived the life. I did spend the extra coin and got a uh, chamber sealer and nice. I, I got it last year, November. Um, well, I take that back. I ordered it last year, November. I didn't get it until like February or March when finally everything was already packed and put away. So this is yeah, going to be the real sure. test of it, but I've been using it um, a lot because I'll make, I'll make a big pot of chili and want to be able to bag it back up. I don't want to put it in Tupperwares. I don't want to put it in, in Ziploc bags, but to actually mm-hmm. portion it out into like either pound packages, pound and a half packages, and be able to seal those up. I can take a chili and then make it last for a seriously long time because at that point, I just freeze those little bags up. Hey, let's have chili tonight. And it's not a big process. I get to enjoy that work extended on later down the road. Barbacoa, I made a whole bunch for um freezer burritos i got onto the the kick of making freezer burritos for lunch i'm down to only a couple now i need to need to do it again but with that barbacoa too i got to the point where i ran i started running out of materials i I was down to one tortilla i was you know just a little bit of cheese at that point and then my my beans were gone i was like well i I don't want to just have just a a meat cheese in there i want to have all the fixings when it comes to the burrito (laughs) So I ended up having to just seal the rest of it up, but it was just so nice to be able to vacuum seal that sucker. It wasn't a big process and then stick that in the freezer. So yeah, I can have barbacoa, you know, tomorrow if I want to, just because I have those packages ready. Very cool. Very so nice. worth the investment. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sponsored by any of them, but I mean, if there's a, there's a chamber vac that wants to come out and put my name or let me talk about it <laughs> <laughs> by all means. Um, but I picked up the, uh, made with meat, uh, that company that came out and they're starting to make some really good, high quality restaurant, uh, quality, uh, what am I trying to say? App- appliances is what I'm trying to say. They come out mm-hmm. with restaurant quality appliances 
that the consumer can get, that the every guy can get. Now, granted, you're going to spend some extra coin, but this is no cheapy piece of thing. It's, it's an investment, but it's going to last you a long time. Bags are pennies compared to having to buy the rolls. So it's almost like the flip-flop where you're putting the, you get the cheap sealer and then you got to buy the pricey roll of bags where it's flipped here, where I got the big unit and now I can use cheaper bags because all I have to do is seal the one end. So very cool. Worth it. I, I, I appreciate it. Yeah, no, I definitely need to take a plunge and uh, I think that would be next year for sure. There you go. I was hoping to use some of the winnings from my fantasy football league this year uh, into maybe getting a grinder, but uh, the way my season's going fantasy wise is, is not good. I'm, I'm kissing all that money goodbye and it's only week five. Kind of oh, like my Lions. I'm also kissing those victories goodbye. This is <laughs> this is full-on rebuild year. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's a rough year for you, sounds like. My goodness. I, I'll take it. The restart is looking good. we got a better coach, and we've got some sound players. I do cry a little bit every time I see Stafford over there in L.A. smile. Like, I, he's still, he's, I still root for him, but at the same time, it hurts to see him over there. Yeah. Well, hey, Paul, this has come down to the crescendo of my show this is the two dish breakdown this is where i give you a scenario and you have to tell me what you're going to do in this specific case. And for the first one, um, we've been talking a little bit on what to do when I've got an animal down. The the shot's already been done. Now it's the hard work. We've gone through the process. You field dressed it. It's got a chance to hang out in your cooler. You're ready to make the first meal or the first like the celebratory traditional meal. Is that something that that you do in your household is there a traditional like celebration meal or is it really like you guys are just you just span uh the gamut on what you're going to have so generally and i'm it's probably gonna be kind of boring but uh <laughs> my traditional meal is i just take a couple big fat backstrap steaks and i'll throw them in a cast iron skillet i'll you know season up salt and pepper sear those down and I'll finish them off with thyme, rosemary, butter, and garlic. So I'll put the butter in there and I'll put the herbs and garlic, everything in the pan. And then I'll just coat that steak over and over and over with it. it. Just (laughs) baste it. It's, it's delicious. It's great. And it's a great way to really get all the flavors of that beer and then that backstrap um, onto the plate. And of course you can't have a steak like that without some whipped potatoes so you know we definitely do whipped potatoes and then you know probably asparagus alongside with that so you know definitely just a very plain but delicious meal i wouldn't say plain i would say classic that is a that sounds like a classic uh celebratory meal i'm i'm all in paul I would celebrate with you guys any night. (laughs) I like that. I'll have to call it classic. I like that. I like that better than plain. That sounds so much better than plain. There you go. (laughs) Well, that was the other thing I was going to mention too. We were talking way earlier and you said you didn't like the word gamey. And I was the same with you. I was like, I've got to get that out of my vocabulary. I can't, I can't say 
not to say that I can't say it, but it's like, I don't want to say gamey. And uh, the avenue that I ended up actually picking up from was, a he's actually a wine, he's a wine guy, but he was talking about how things paired well with the different funks of cheese. And it, it was a light bulb that went off. And I was like, that I think is how we need to start calling well that's what we need to start calling gamey is we need to call it the funk because if it's got a strong funk like a blue cheese you know you're really going to taste that or like with the venison you're going to taste more of that versus if it's got a mild funk you know you get yourself a gouda or you know a swiss you know you can put that with the the tenderloin of the venison at that point because it doesn't have a lot of funk to it. it doesn't have a lot of that venison taste that people are associating with where they immediately kick in gamey but i think like i don't know i find that term to be a little bit easier to portray rather than gamey just shuts everybody off yeah yeah no i see you know people say they you know when i ask people if they like venison they're like no it's too gamey i was like well you haven't had it prepared properly uh, that's like my comeback for that but um with i'm just trying to think of how people would perceive funk you know it's like Oh, well, it's not gamey, but it's funky, you yeah. know? Uh, so it's like, well, what, what, what do you mean, funky? So I, I, li- I, like, the, I like where you're going with that. Uh, I definitely do. And, um, but I'm just trying to think, is there another word we could use besides funk? I, this is going to be um, something we're going to ponder. Exactly. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll ponder on it. You ponder on it. And we'll see if we can come up with a, a good collaboration of what we can call or a new word for gamey and funk. <laughs> I like it. I like it. All right. Now, this is the last one. This one comes with weight, Paul. Because for some reason, actually, do you have ticks down there in North Carolina? Oh, yeah. Now, I've experienced uh, the Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever this year. Oh, fun. fun. Yeah. 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 It wasn't, it wasn't uh, Alpha Gale and it wasn't... Uh, Lyme's disease, but I got I got the the rarer one of the three. Oh my goodness! How long how long were you uh, down with that? So antibiotics was about fourteen days, but I honestly started feeling better in about a month and a half. So I mean, it just made me extremely drained, tired, and um, I didn't start getting the spots until after my antibiotics was up, which was weird. Oh man, odd, odd stuff. Yeah, it's it's crazy, man. And I I should have played the lottery, honestly, with the numbers that that comes in because it's like twenty thousand people in the U.S. get it every year. Right. So I was like one and one in twenty thousand. I mean, that's worse than lottery. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah. Well, no, it's not one in twenty thousand, but you know, whatever the numbers are with the, as many people in the U.S. But I I think I could have probably got some winning numbers that that (laughs) That uh, time around. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I hate to bring up flashbacks, but here's your scenario is you have in this scenario, you've just been bitten by the Lone Star tick. This is the one that comes along with the allergy that doesn't allow you to eat red meat anymore. This is going to kick off your venison. This is going to get you off of beef. This is just going to be a really bad thing. In fact, this, uh, this scenario was given to me and I said, first, I'm going to get a second opinion and I might just have to be sick for the rest of my life. Cause I don't know if I can kick it, but I'm going to pass this scenario on to you. You've been bitten. You know, you're going to be allergic to, to wild or to at least to venison. 
what is going to be your last enjoyable meal of venison? Oh, man, I, I'm starting to feel a little sweat coming down my forehead. I, I hate thinking about that. <laughs> but if, um, all right, worst case scenario, yeah, definitely get a second opinion because yeah, I'm not going to trust the first person to tell me that, John. But if I had to choose my last meal, I would, I would probably have to go with venison, tenderloin, tacos. Going to Benny Tacos at that point. Just Benny Tacos, man, because I, you know, I love tacos. I shouldn't eat as many as I do, but I'll I'll down, I'll down a bunch of tacos. And, um, you know, if you take the venison tenderloin and you marinate it properly, let it marinate for, you know, 24 hours or so, I generally do a little bit of chili powder, uh, jalapenos, olive oil, or avocado oil, whichever you want to use, salt, pepper and a little bit of uh, white wine vinegar in there and I'll let that marinate for about 24 hours and I'll throw that on the grill cook it up to about a medium rare to medium slice it up real real thin and then throw that on the tacos and you can use uh, you know homemade corn taco uh, corn tortillas or you can just use the regular crunch uh, tacos or whatever you want flour tortillas whatever but it's delicious man Oh yeah. That takes like, it's just taking that carne asada up to a whole new level. Oh yeah. Point. Oh, awesome. Hey, that's a, that's a great way to be done with it. And I said, enjoyable. I'm sure like that point, you know, you're going to have a few more meals of venison. You're going to find out you're really test that allergy. You know, is it it really all it's cracked up to be at this point? (laughs) Is it really worth me not eating anymore? I think I can handle it for, you know, once a month at least. That's what I was thinking. You know, if, yeah, it's, yeah. if it's like upset tummy, I can handle that. Give me a few tums. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We've been there, done that. Yeah, that's a, that's a rough night for some people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, Paul, this has just been an awesome chance to get a chance to connect with you, learn a little bit about Sizzling Arrow. Um, where can my listeners find out more about what you're doing over there in North Carolina? Where can we find you online? And uh, tell us a little bit about your website. Yes, sir. So uh, we can, you can find me uh, or you can check out the website. It's at www.sizzlinarrow.com. Um, I'm on Instagram and Facebook, both at Sizzling Arrow. Um, you can listen to me on Apple Podcasts and pretty much anywhere else you listen to podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, iHeart. That's uh, Sizzling Arrow uh, as well. And, you know, I'm always happy to answer any questions that anybody may have. You know, I love talking to people, uh, have conversations, especially around hunting and cooking. Um, people can shut up when we talk about that. But um, you can shoot me emails at paul at sizzlingarrow.com. Um, and you can find that information on our website as well. Awesome. Awesome. Well, hey, Paul, go ahead and stay on the line for just a second. I'm going to send our, our listeners on out. Yes, sir. Yes, folks. sir. Yeah, folks, this has just been a great evening um, to talk a little bit about after the hunt. You know, you put all the effort, you put the thought and effort into figuring out what you're gonna, what implement you're gonna be using. You've practiced with it. You've got your climbing system uh, all put together, whether it's your sticks and your your uh, stand, whether you're a saddle guy, whether you're on the ground and you got your ghillie suit, whatever, whatever you're putting together. You've put so much effort into that, and then it comes down to that final minute to where you put the animal down, you approach the animal, and the intimacy begins of. I now have to do something with this. Make sure you got a knife in your back. 
And if you're Paul, make sure you throw in the gloves because you know you're going to forget those the day of. So I already have those in here. But as you're getting your stuff ready to go, the night that you do put in your pack, make sure that that thing is sharp.